Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. Hello, beautiful superhumans. I am so happy you decided to tune in with me again. Those of you who have been listening to this podcast for a while know this is a place where we talk about growth and transitions and exploring how humanity can become humanity 2.0 and how we can fulfill our highest potential in every aspect, mentally, physically, and spiritually. I have always felt that love is at the core of what drives humanity. As I perceive it, everything is about love, the presence, or the absence of it. Romantic relationships are built on the foundation of love. When we look at the current discussion about defining what a relationship is, what is apparent to me is that there are so many ways to celebrate and live love, and that the so-called traditional model of relationship does not work for a significant percentage of the population. When we look at divorce rates and the high numbers of individuals who live a lifestyle of serial monogamy, which not always, but likely often, is an indicator of the heteronormative model not working for someone, and when 49% of millennials either have experienced or say they would like to experience a non-monogamous relationship, it tells me that we need to look at the way we understand love. Are what we call traditional relationships truly traditional when we look at the history of humanity? What is the secret sauce for happy, healthy relationships? Today's guest, Effie Blue, has answers to these questions. Effie is a relationship coach and founder of Curious Fox, a community that inspires individuals to challenge the status quo in love, sex, and relationships, and the one-size-fits-all prescription society so far has offered us. Effie encourages and teaches us to seek and find our own expression of loving and relating, whether our love is monogamous, polyamorous, hetero, queer, asexual, or whether we choose to put a label on it at all. summer and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized Podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. It is such a pleasure to have you on the Superhumanized podcast. So good to spend time with you, to connect with you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here. You recently became aware of that the hashtag TikTok swing to this day, mm-hmm. 630 million views. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had no idea that TikTok is such a big platform for this topic or for couples and Also, I became aware of that in a recent study, about 50% of millennials either have been or say they would want to go for a non-monogamous type of relationship. Mm -hmm. What's happening? Yeah, that's interesting. So I've been a a relationship coach specializing in non-monogamy and non-traditional relationships for about six years. And for the first three years, it was really quiet. I had a, I was developing my practice. I was learning and I was coaching so um, that I could get experience and really hone in on what I wanted to do. And during those, the first three years, it was really quiet. People weren't talking about it. People weren't really seeking it. There was definitely stirrings as you spoke to people. There were only stirrings of like this, the, the monogamous structure isn't working. A lot of cheating that's happening. Estelle Perel came out with her book on affairs. That was a big hit. So that was a there's definitely like a stirring that was happening and I would definitely say in the last three years probably give or take one because of COVID in the middle that there's been a real interest it was non-monogamy people are interested and people are talking about it I know that I gave an interview for New York New York Times and New York Magazine and like 
it's very much a part of the zeitgeist right now. And I think there are a couple of reasons, many reasons. I think one is, I always think that non-monogamy and the feminist movement are somewhat parallel, that the more choices women have, the more tendency towards non-monogamy, right? The scales start to tip a little bit more. So that there's that's been tracking for many years. I think people have more options. I think the I think the daily life is offering us more options so that we can connect with different people and find out about, about different people. And it's becoming more and more accepted. And I think one of the reasons why it's becoming more and more expected, accepted is actually because um, divorce is so accepted these days that you there's like blended families in every school. Like the the nuclear family structure is changing anyway. So now there is like room for non-monogamy to also be a, a viable structure. Does that make sense? Yes. And talking about the what has been considered as the quote traditional relationship, mm-hmm. a heteronormative relationship mm-hmm. marriage, which used to be man and woman. Now we also have mm-hmm. different uh, mm-hmm connections there but Mm -hmm. are traditional relationships truly traditional when we look at the history of humanity no so what we call traditional exactly the traditional relationship as especially marriage as we know it for marriage for love is a very new concept um we've invented it uh, barely a few decades ago and and before that marriage was for a while it was about power it was about families it was about property and alliances and that was around and it came up really around the industrial uh, the agricultural revolution like we know this as humans decided to cordon off land and farm then ownership of land became a big thing and that's when we see marriage as being a a a transactional system that's put into place and that's history that's not that that's just it's it's had been and then the last few decades being romanticized and now we have weddings and it's become a, a commercialized thing as well. And it, it is what it is today. So traditional, when we think of a traditional relationship, is actually a, a, not that old. Yes. And what I find fascinating is that in the over the last 10 years or 10, 15 mm. years or so, and now these kinds of things are also arriving in the mainstream and in the media, but a lot of scientists, anthropologists have come through to the conclusion mm-hmm. that the way humanity was organized and that relationships were organized back when we were a hunter-gatherer tribes, mm-hmm. nomadic mm-hmm. tribes, there was much more equity. Women would go roaming and harvest mm-hmm. and actually mm-hmm. provide the, ma- the, the main amount of the nutrition mm-hmm. for the tribe. The men mm-hmm. would go hunting. Women also would mm-hmm. go hunting, by the way, but mm-hmm. let's would go hunting and the killing of a beast and then bringing it mm-hmm. back to the tribe was a rarer event than the daily mm-hmm. in of whatever God mm-hmm. harvest got found in wilderness. Mm-hmm. And the relationships in between the adults of a tribe were also very different. It was mm-hmm. not the dyad, the mm-hmm. couple, two people, man, woman mm-hmm. involved in a relationship. It was really the tribe that cared and nurtured for each other. Mm-hmm. Re- multiple relationships, sexual, mm-hmm. and, and it's highly interesting. You, we've seen it in books like, of mm-hmm. course, A Sex at Dawn, Martin's Untrue, Esther Perel. Mm-hmm. We've mentioned so mm-hmm. take note of that in her fabulous mm-hmm. books. But I think that's something really important to keep in mind. When we talk about tradition, what do mm-hmm. we mean? And so thank you for explaining, actually, mm-hmm. our perceptions of tradi- tradition are very not really old, looking mm-hmm. at longer history of humanity. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And pair bonding is natural, right? We know that our species has a tendency to pair bond mm-hmm. on a, in a biological sort of baseline. But monogamy and pair bonding are not the same thing. And pair bonding and fidelity are not the same thing. So I think that distinction is also important to put in there. We, as a species, we are a pair bonding species. There are people, there are other species that are different, right? We are in the group that pair bond predominantly and then I think it's and then the story that we make up around that is the way that we have relationships today right so fidelity monogamy are the stories that we've made up around this idea that our species has a tendency to pair bond and I Mm -hmm. like what you just said the stories around this Mm -hmm. narrative it's always important Mm -hmm. to look at and question what is actually the narrative and what is the Mm -hmm. normative narrative and is this Mm -hmm. actually something that isn't natural or something that's Mm -hmm. on us this podcast is all about 
transitions, exploring how humanity mm-hmm. can become humanity to, oh, mm-hmm. I love to look at how can we fulfill our highest potential mm-hmm. in every aspect, mentally, physically, spiritually. I feel, I believe that love is at the core of what drives humanity. I like to say mm-hmm. that everything is about love, either mm-hmm. the presence or the absence of it. Mm-hmm. And talking about transitions, I'd like to go a little bit more personal also with you because you have a very interesting story professionally mm-hmm. as well as also in your life's journey. And I read about you, learned, correct me if I get any mm-hmm. of my wrong, but that your a personal history was actually that in the kind of structure that mm-hmm. is imposed on us as a normal. So mm-hmm. you cheated on your partners, had even been married once and thought mm-hmm. you are simply quote, bad at relationships until mm-hmm. polyamory for yourself. Mm-hmm. My questions are, is this typical for many people who discover this mm-hmm. about themselves? And also, how was your transition? And how did you know it mm-hmm. was never change? For a long time, I struggled with relationships. Like you said, I cheated on a lot of my partners. And what I found, I was at a, uh, and let me just go back and forth for a second. This all came about at a time when a bunch of parts of my life were in question. And I had decided that I was going to take stock. I was very lucky and privileged to be able to do that, to be able to just put pause on everything and regather myself and pivot into whatever else I wanted to do. So I was under, I was at a time that I was reviewing everything. And I was looking at different parts of my life, career, where I was living, like who I was spending time with, what I was learning, what I was doing, what I wanted to do, all those kind of things. And I was finding that I was getting very clear on every kind of part of my life. And the part that I was really struggling with is the relationships part. And it was because I had a history of um, infidelity, serial infidelity, where I was I would cheat on my partners. And the thing that that I was really hung up on was that I didn't, cheat on my partners when I was unhappy it was, it, or that I was lacking something or any you know, of that kind of for not out of lacking but I was doing that when I was the happiest and was grounded and excited about the relationship and, and I just felt like I wanted to just go out and connect with other people as well and I just thought that was so strange not strange I just didn't see any representation of that so I was like okay something and it was so much with that kind of history you're dealing with a lot of heartbreak a lot of difficult conversations, it's painful on all parties. And yeah, I was at a point where I was just like, I can't do relationships, so I just shouldn't. And I was also redirected a lot of the energy and space and time that I had with not having, um, a really, not investing in relationships in my career. So I was doing really well. I was rising through the ranks in a corporate world and I was traveling the world and it was great. And I was just like, just staying away from um, um, relationships. And then when that's where I was I just wasn't having any relationships and then when I was living I was I've been living in New York for the last 10 years I stumbled into a a group of people that were non-monogamous I was it was I was taken to a party as you would and I met people and they were telling me that they were non-monogamous and this is what their relationship looked like and the more they explained themselves the more I was like okay this feels very this feels like this why does this make sense why does it make so much sense And I was just in a position that I had a bunch of people that were willing to share their experiences with me. And the more they did, the more I was like, wow, okay, this is making so much sense for me. And the conclusion that I came to was that I was not bad at relationships, Mm -hmm. but I was bad at a certain type of relationship that I had, that I could really choose the way I want to connect with people and be clear and forthcoming about that. And then still have great relationships because I was just like there was a bunch of people who were doing it that was at the beginning of my journey and I do now that I many years later now that I do what I do I hear from a lot of people that they have read something heard something seen something and it suddenly makes sense and they're like oh like this is what I want I just didn't realize this was a thing and now I know it is it feels very familiar it is very it feels like the right thing I do hear that a lot yes Mm. I And I think it's truly amazing. You have said so yourself, you've been coaching for six years, the first three, three years, it was mm. not as much front and center as it has been mm. since three years. I think the the awareness has really broadened. You read so much more about all these mm-hmm. different connecting consensually with others. Mm -hmm. There is a bigger openness. A lot of it, I think, is also driven by the younger generations. I Mm -hmm. find that 
truly amazing and also wonderful that young people are able to step forward, such as somebody like Willow Smith, the daughter of Pinkett Smith and Will Smith. Mm -hmm. And at the age of, I think, 18 or 19, she said, came out and said, I'm pansexual and just, she's 21 recently. She said, I am polyamorous and without... I was on a show with her. I was on that show with her. Yeah, yeah. She was. Uh, yeah, she, was she came out, yeah. Tell us about that experience, please, Ashley. I, I don't... Actually, just... You, I feel like what you were about to ask was so much more interesting than that 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 show. So I feel like I want you to finish your sentence. Is that all right? Oh, finish your question. I was actually just going to conclude that... I think it's amazing that at least in certain parts of the world, and of course, people who have a certain type of background, I think having parents like Jada and Will, who are also living very open and in a way that many other people may not live, is extremely helpful in embracing your own true identity mm-hmm. at an mm-hmm. early age with seemingly without as much pain and doubt mm-hmm. and guilt and all these things that can mixed in and have been mixed mm-hmm. in for so many people and to embrace that identity so early on how long did it take you until you were able to fully embrace your identity because certainly I think there is a development from realizing something about oneself Mm -hmm. and then to take the different steps and then to actually be able to fully live it absolutely yeah right I have I was exposed to non-monogamy and then I realized it made sense for me almost immediately. Once I understood it, I was just like, oh, this makes sense. And then it's great for that moment. You suddenly have this like new awakening and insight. And then you're absolutely right. You're, oh, what is that going to look like? What do I do with that now? Especially if you are one of the people that are already in an existing relationship and you suddenly realize you're something completely different than what you've committed to be. There is a journey. There is a journey to get to the other side. If it is something that is so important to you that you have, you want to act on, right? Because there is a version of this where people realize, oh, I'm polyamorous, and they don't have a drive to actually act upon it. And they realize they have everything that they need, and they just have this insight about them, right? So if somebody is someone's bisexual, but they happen to be dating somebody who's the opposite gender, and and they're happy, it doesn't mean they're now no longer bisexual. It's just like they've, that's who they're connecting with right now, right? So if you are going to act upon it, then there's there's a journey to the other side. For me, it was very fruitful because I am a learner and I am a nerd. And as I was going to through this, I wanted to understand it so well that it, that I want to do something about it. Like I wanted to, I want, it was important for me. There weren't enough resources as I was like trying to figure this out for myself. And I had a community, which I was so fortunate about. So many people don't. And I wanted to, to not only understand this process, but somehow catalog it and make it available for others. So that's where I built my coaching practice and this idea of relationship by design, which is what I coach around right now. So for me, it was painful and it was exciting and it was adventurous and it was full of suffering and joy at the same time. And to think the thing that really kept me going and just like I was just understanding so much about myself and how this can make sense for other people as well and so as a part of that experience as me transitioning and actually living out my full authentic relationship orientation I des- I designed what I coach around now which is relationship by design mm-hmm. and it is the idea of relationship by design is opposed to relationship by default which is where most of us end up in relationships right it's prescribed there's a bunch of expectations you probably finished your school work for a little bit meet somebody they tick some boxes it makes sense it fits into to, to the narrative you say okay and you in this relationship by default path and if it's working for you great but there are a lot of people who are doing that they're saying like, this isn't working the society's prescription on re- uh, relationships aren't working what do we do? What do we do now? And the suggestion is a relationship by design. And the idea is to consciously and dynamically design our relationships in a way that we can all thrive. So the monogamy and non-monogamy piece are not these like this one dimensional decision point that you're making, but you're saying, okay, what does it look like? What does it feel like when I'm thriving? You start with know, know thyself, the, one of the oldest advice. Know thyself. What does it look like and feel like when I'm thriving? 
What are the conditions that really support nurture that state, right? How does it feel inside my body? How does it feel inside my mind? And that becomes your guide. And then the idea of relationship by design is to use that state and say, okay, how can I design a relationship that can continue to nurture and support that state of thriving for everyone? And what I find is that once you tune into that idea of thriving, the monogamy and non-monogamy piece reveals itself. It also feels and accessible to people because they come about it in such a wholesome way. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. Mm. I love that philosophy and also the definition. Love that it's based on thriving, on growth, because that for Mm. me also is, especially when you look at love, love coming not from a state of fear and lack, but coming from Mm. a state of abundance and Mm -hmm. nurturing and love. I feel like our Mm -hmm. society, the normative narrative is based a lot on fear and luck and Mm -hmm. lack, sorry, as a love Mm -hmm. or a finite resource. Mm -hmm. And I also love relationships by design uh, versus Mm -hmm. people. So for people who are not so familiar with this topic, I'd like to talk a a little bit about the different forms of non-monogamy, consensual mm-hmm. non-monogamy, such as polyamory, open relationships, swinging, mm-hmm. monogamish, to touch mm-hmm. upon you. What are the differences? I, after reflecting upon it for a long time, I actually stopped using the term consensual non-monogamy because it uh, it's interesting. The fact that you have to justified by saying consensual like unconsensual consensual non-monogamy is called cheating so by saying it's consensual non-monogamy aren't relationships consensual and i feel like it's one of those um unconscious justifications that people who practice the style put in there to say look it's okay it's okay it's consensual or it's okay it's ethical like ethical non-monogamy is another way that people could say talk about it i think it where I am right now, I'm like, okay, it's, it's monogamy and non-monogamy because we are going to assume that everybody has ethics and there's consent all around. And if it's not, it's cheating on both accounts, right? Mm-hmm. So whether monogamous or non-monogamous, it is, it is still cheating. So non-monogamy is a, I think about it as a big umbrella, right? You got monogamy and then you have non-monogamy is a big umbrella. Under that, once you leave the very prescribed structure of monogamy, you're now in no structure the land of no structure so you have to decide what it looks like you have to come close to what it looks like and there are some different names that are developed around things that look similar so monogamish was coined by dan savage and who's a great many things and a great podcaster i I recommend the podcast he came out with this idea of monogamish and monogamish was like you're monogamous most of the time then every now and then you might go out get drunk with you with your your partner or whatever and maybe kiss some people or you'd have maybe a threesome every now and then right so that was like monogamous and light and that's kind of what monogamous is and people talk about it and then you have open relationships open relationships tend to be relationships that are couple centric meaning that there is a couple or in my practice i call it a core relationship and that relationship it has availability for um other relationships and I call those like auxiliary relationships right so that's what people mean most of the time when they say in an open relationship the people and you're going out into like polyamory land polyamory is poly many amory loves many loves so people who identify as polyamorous tend to have invested relationships as invested relationships with multiple people that is loving polyamory tends to be more relationship focused Whereas open relationships tend to be more on sexual exploration focused. Within the polyamorous communities, you get a lot of people who identify as asexual, for example, because it allows for people to have really close, intimate relationships while having other people to meet other needs or explore. And then you have people who practice something called polyfidelity. And that is essentially people who choose to have multiple relationships and then no more. Instead of having two relationships in their relationship, they might have three people in a relationship and then they are like, they're not dating anybody else. That's like polyfidelity. So those are common, commonly used terms. What I recommend people do, or at least I said what I tell people is that labels will get you onto the same page and a conversation will get you onto the same paragraph. So if somebody says to you, I'm interested in an open relationship. And if you're in open, interested in an open relationship, great. Yes, there is like 
high fives and excitement. And I recommend the next question is, okay, what does that look like for you? And start having that conversation. And then you can see if you can co-design something that you can thrive in. Very good point. And let's say you have a couple and one of them identifies as polyamorous. The other might Mm -hmm. be more monogamish or mainly interested in potential sexual encounters, but not really in other relationships where they also connect Mm -hmm. emotionally in a sense. Can that work? So I I get this, I get this question often and the answer is always yes. And the answer is yes, is because us humans have the, you of all people know that we have the capacity to do many things. We are very adaptable creatures. We live in every corner of this planet. We adapt to every situation. We have immense capacity to do a lot of things. And if I always think of it, every time I see a bridge that I think, wow, the capacity of the human, what a human can do. So can it work? Yes. Are you willing to put the work in to make it work? That is up to I don't have an answer for that. That is the question that those people have to decide for themselves. And what and that if that makes sense for them, if that if it if would the work make sense? You know, like it's that is a question that you have to answer for yourself. Will it work? Yes, because we can we are built to relate, we're built to connect, and we, we will make it work. We just need to decide if we wanna do the work or not. Yeah. And when an individual or a existing couple discover that they have a desire to break out of the conventionally accepted model of what relationships Mm -hmm. are supposed to look like, it's a major life transition. So what Mm -hmm. is the most important thing to keep in mind there when you start this process or go through this process? So ideally, so pace is important, right? One of the important thing is, the place where people struggle is by the time somebody, unless they arrive at this place together and they're like, oh, yeah, do you want to let's explore non-monogamy? If they're if people are doing that's great, they're probably going to have a great time. They're already synced, they're already calibrated. They they will they'll have a good chance of exploring when in a situation one party brings that with the other. What often happens is that party has been thinking about it for a long time. So it's been on their mind. They've been doing research. They probably, they've felt all the feelings. They felt guilty about it. They felt happy about it. Like they, they've been holding it for a while. And when they bring it up to say, hey, I'm interested. By the time they bring it up and they're saying, hey, I'm interested in exploring non-monogamy. Um, any kind of interest from the other party feels feels like that it's that it's not enough, Right. Mm-hmm. Because they're like, oh, you have to get on board. If it's okay with you, then you have to get on board and let's like do it at a pace that makes sense. I find the best thing to do is go with the pace of the person that is coming to terms with it, coming to terms with it mm. and whatever pace they need. A lot of communication, of course, understanding that communication isn't just conversing. It's conversing with the intention to understand and to be understood. So intentional conversations. I think community is super important, whether it's an online community or a real community, being around people that are also exploring non-monogamy and kind of figuring out their relationship structures, having that kind of support is super important. Also realize that if you are exploring non-monogamy, you you, you do need to develop a community mind. It helps to develop a community-minded mindset, like a community mindset that really helps when you actually live living a non-monogamous structure with multiple people because ultimately what you end up having is a micro community right Mm -hmm. so finding a support community also gets you into that mindset having shared language is super helpful so again the community provides that so i would say that 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 is really important and also the place that i always suggest people start is to know thyself really get to know that you really get to know yourself understand how you thrive you know understand your thriving state what does that feel like in your body? How, like, what is it, what are the conditions that really support that, that state, right? And that's why, that's what relationship by design is about. Once you get to know that, know yourself and understand, then you can make some choices. Thinking about this whole beautiful and complex thing we call love, I feel that every expression of love is beautiful and very importantly so, whether your love is monogamous or polyamorous, heteroqueer, asexual, which you mentioned before, mm. or whether you choose to put any label 
on it at all. To me, love is the most powerful force in the universe. And in in your mind, why is there such fear surrounding the idea of free love and free love mm-hmm. that you are free, completely free to make the choice how you want to love and whether being monogamous is good for you or whether polyamorous is being good for you or whatever else. Why is there such a fear surrounding the idea that people choose for themselves, regardless and uninfluenced by religion, convention, history? Mm. Interesting what you're saying about love. This comes up a lot in, in, in my practice when people, when I ask people, why do they want to make this work with this person? It's one of the common questions I ask. And a lot of the time, most of the time, I get the answer because I love them, right? Or because we love each other, which is great. And I say, which is great. Let's put that to one side. Let's talk about relationships, which is a, a different a different dimension. And then what I do share with them, and I want to put out there for you is, love is such a, actually a nebulous, thing right and it's it actually has an immense evolutionary purpose so love is biochemistry of love is designed to keep us taking care of our young that that we know that because we know the biochemistry of it and the idea it's for attachment it's for safety and security so we have an every we are all as humans we have a wiring for love it is this idea it's it comes from this idea that we need to be taken care of, right? When we're infants. So the human baby is a blob. You have kids, so you know what it's like, right? They can't take care of themselves. All they do is cry, eat, poop. And for a long time, they need to be taken care of, right? And because of that, we have evolved to have a mechanic in place that so we take care of our young. And when we know that when we're born, we know we have an innate instinct that we cannot survive. And that we need to depend on somebody to be taken care of. It's just how our species is wired. What happens is that in that moment, we are born, if you imagine with these, like what I always imagine, these like these tentacles that are looking for someone to take care of us. It's often a primary caregiver. The baby gets put onto the mom and there is a bond. And in that bond is what we call love, right? It is when we know that we are entirely need somebody to survive and that what's going to ensure us to survive is love, the way that I feel about each other. Does that make sense? So that is the origins, that is the origins of love. What happens is it takes different forms as we evolve, right? As we grow. Love, love sexualized, right, is erotic, right? Love systematized is relationship. So love commercialized is Valentine's Day. Yeah, the romantic right? industrial complex. And in many different ways that this idea of love is it gets reinterpreted. So if you think about it, I don't think the idea is that we tell people you can't love more than one person. When we say monogamy or non-monogamy, what we say is there are certain things you can't do with them, right? Mm-hmm. So you can, th- there is very little pushback against you saying, look, I love my best friend, right? I love them. I will pick up the phone from them. If they call me in the middle of the day, de- in the middle of the night, I will do sleepovers if I want to. I, you know, and no one's saying you're not allowed to love more than one person. What we're prescribed is what you get to do with these people. Mm. Right. So I think this, I think it's idea that it's, it's free love. I don't think it, I don't think it is that, right. Because I think free love is accepted. It is what we're, like I said, it's what we're, what we're allowed to do with that love that is prescribed Mm -hmm. and described. (laughs) And what is so scary about people stepping out of that prescription and loving in a way they define themselves as few or as many as they desire and in the ways they desire? Mm -hmm. Our society is very much structured around monogamy. Right. There's multiple reasons. First of all, we are pack animals and we are wired to, to for pair bonding, which means that we do want to mate. And and then beyond that, we then want to belong into a society because sense of belonging belonging is a part of our survival system. And our societies are designed in, in certain ways. And modern societies are designed around the, the couple, if you think about it, like you know, the thing about couple privilege, right? And I think and that couple is now further de- de- defined as a monogamous couple, nuclear family, like what, like we talked about it, right? So the, where we have been evolutionarily, where we are now, it's very different. So if you want it to be non-monogamous, um, it is you also have to leave a structure that makes sense to you. So you're not. It's not only hard for you because you have to. You've changed internally, and you have to communicate that to 
your partner your or your lover or whomever you're with but also you're now have to deal with a system that is not designed for you absolutely mm-hmm. and it's it can be very scary on a lot of levels whether it's mm-hmm. the biological triggers that kick in like survival mm-hmm. don't mm-hmm. want you need to be with a group to augment your possibilities of survival mm-hmm. and whether it's potential stigma very scary on a lot of levels and so that on the one side the issues and obstacles one might face mm-hmm. working mm-hmm. through this if one decides to undertake mm-hmm. such a transition mm-hmm. What are the benefits of multiple partners? I feel like I think more um, there are many benefits of multiple partners that align to what you're looking for, right? If you are interested in exploring relationships that bring you if you're interested in exploring variety and that's what makes you thrive. If what you what makes you thrive is you like variety and newness, right? And so having multiple relationships that are fun and light and explore exploratory and you're, you know, and you're doing that through a, a non-monogamous structure, those are the benefits of having multiple relationships. I think the most important thing is that once you find the relationship design that works for you, right, there is going to be all the benefits that you'll ever want because you would have designed for it. So for example, if you are interested in them, a super supportive family style relationship with multiple people, maybe cohabiting uh, with two other people and you get that, right? You always have somebody around you. There's a bigger support network. So it really depends. Benefits of a multiple, having multiple relationships, it depends what you're looking for. And right. if it's working, those are the benefits that that, that relationship can afford. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Absolutely. And I think also something you mentioned before when you were talking about people who identify as asexual, that for example, for them, the polyamorous polyamorous lifestyle is beneficial because it allows them to have loving and nurturing relationships with partners Mm -hmm. without having to do something that they're just not wired for, which is sex, which is why they identify as asexual. And at the same time, it allows their partners who may not be asexual, to Mm -hmm. actually fill that need with others. And I think that touches on a core thing in the culture as we live in right now. There's, I feel, a lot of pressure is put on the diet, on the Mm -hmm. monogamous relationship between two people, where your partner has to fulfill everything for you, and you have to fulfill everything for your partner, whether Mm -hmm. that is on the friendship level, whether it's on Mm -hmm. the partnership and building a life together level, mm. sexual level, whether it's on the intellectual mm. level, on the financial mm. level, we could go on and on. I think that is if you are able and willing to fulfill that and for a lifetime, mm. that is wonderful. For a lot of people, I feel there is a lot of pressure there and they, it's near impossible to actually be everything for mm. one person and the other for you, which is mm. why it also makes sense that so many mm-hmm. people now are seeking partnerships outside of that dyadic mm-hmm. structure. So when you build the skill set to be successful in non-monogamous, because I think it's a skill set, it has on the one side to do a lot about unlearning and also mm-hmm. about something that you put a high emphasis on when you coach people, which is emotional literacy. Can you please mm. explain what that is, Effie? Sure. Well, yeah, definitely. First of all, I want to actually say I do agree with you that it's a skill set. The way that I describe it that sometimes resonates with people is that it's like being right-handed or left-handed. You're still going to need to learn to write, right? It, it, think about it in those terms. It is skills. It is just if you're just other-handed and you're still going to have to learn those skills. So think about it in terms, and I love that you picked up on that. Emotional literacy. So a lot of the time... Um, a couple of reasons. One is if you're interested in exploring non-monogamy, and I often turn, I often use the term exploring non-monogamy rather than being mm-hmm. non-monogamous, because it, it is a constant state of exploration that really that you need, right? So one of the things that I, again I say often is like uh, non-monogamy is not the opposite of monogamy. It is an it is a different way of being, thinking, arranging your life, and arranging your inner and outside life. That is not just a matter of oh. Over here, we have sex with other people, and over there, we don't have sex with other people. So, non-monogamy is a, is is a kind of its own 
system or their lack of. And one of the things that you need, one of the skills that you're talking about, you need is emotional literacy. It's to be able to name your feelings and let the other person know what you're at. It's, a, it's one, of the base, one of the pillars of communication. If you think about what we said is communication is to understand and to be understood, conversing with the intention to understand and to be understood. And it is your responsibility to, to be understood as well. And in order to be understood, you need to understand yourself and you will need tools to do that. And one of the ways that we, one of the ways that we need to get to know ourselves is how we're feeling, right? Our emotions, our feelings, our messages from our body and our in, inner intelligence. And I don't, I, I can mean that from a very spiritual place. Or I can feel that I can um, say that from a very biochemical place, right? Our body memory is a thing and, and we want to, want to have access to that. So emotional literacy is putting words to that, right? So I, I actually give my clients a a fun exercise I give them a list of feelings and a list of needs this is like a vocabulary list and I ask them to print one and put one in the bathroom and then print another sheet and put it on the fringe fridge or coffee table or dining room table like a focal point in the house and the idea is to while you're in the bathroom to to read a vocabulary list of feelings and reflect on them so oh giddy that's an interesting one. When was the last time I felt giddy? What would giddy look like? So it's a reflection tool. And one of the reasons it's also fun to tell people what to do uh, when they're in the bathroom, but also when you, it is a bit of a biohack. When you're in the bathroom, your body is in rest and digest. So you're actually in a very calm state. So it is actually a good place to reflect on how you're feeling and you're not overwhelmed by feeling. It tends to be a calm place as well. We learn, think through feelings and then I put, and then the one in the common space is used as a cheat sheet. So if people are overwhelmed and they need to find words, they are able to pick these sheets up and go, oh, I think it's this or this. And it's super important to be able to just explain how you're feeling, understand, put names to how you're feeling, and then communicate that with others so you can calibrate and have good communication. I love that. And I also love the biohack about using the bathroom space. That makes sense. (laughs) The immediate question that comes to mind for many people when talking about how to manage non-monogamy, multiple Mm -hmm. relationships is jealousy. And Mm -hmm. I do want to talk about this as well. Biggest issue apparently is something else. While I think love is not a finite resource, as I mentioned Mm -hmm. before, there is one thing that is a finite resource Mm -hmm. and that is our time. 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 So scheduling seems to be one of the most difficult things when loving and wanting to be in a relationship with multiple partners. How do you make enough time for multiple partners? And also, how do you make enough time for yourself? Yeah, I think it's there is no like magical, there is no magical answer to this. The in joke is the answer is Google Calendar. You just get really good at calendaring. That, that's one of the things. But I think you, if you're not able to take care of yourself or your relationships you are polysaturated right you've committed to too much there is no there's no magic to this right if you are running from one relationship to another and to barely getting your work done and you haven't had a shower in three days that's not a polyamory issue that's a scheduling issue right Mm -hmm. you've committed you've overcommitted and you need to let things let some things go and i think one of the struggles with polyamory is that you're trying to trying to schedule multiple people right so you have multiple schedules and I find that often scheduling is a proxy for emotional state. So that's an also like something else. It's, I find that the more people, if the relationship becomes unstable, scheduling becomes more important and more difficult, right? So if one of the, say you're in, a, in two relationships and one relationship is struggling because many reasons why any relationship struggles, it tends to have an effect on 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 the schedule right people become people start to time watch like how much time are you spending with me how how much time you're spending with someone else right so i think it's important that if if that's the situation that you're in if you're struggling scheduling in your relationship look at the reason why is it because you're overcommitted that's one option or are the relationship struggling and the scheduling is becoming like canary in the coal mine Mm -hmm. that people feel like they're not getting enough time and is it that they don't need the, is it time they don't need or they're not getting what they want out of the relationship and it's manifesting as I want more time. Very good point. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So Google Calendar is the answer. 
and get scheduling. (laughs) (laughs) And with regards to the jealousy issue. Now, Mm -hmm. uh, of course, also when you have a monogamous relationship, Mm -hmm. jealousy can come up. That's a part of the normal human range of, Mm -hmm. and I think it can also tell us a lot about ourselves. So in in your experience, in your practice as a coach, and also in your personal experience, Mm -hmm. What is your take on jealousy and what are the best ways to deal with it? Sure. This is one of the top three questions people get asked. Or it is the reason that people say, oh, I could never do non-monogamy because I'm a jealous person. Or it's one of the biggest concerns. What if I get jealous? Right? What if my partner gets jealous? So it is definitely one of the common things that are associated with non-monogamy. Now, I think the important thing here to say is that jealousy just gets bad rep, right? It is like any other feeling that we have. It is in the human emotional spectrum and everybody gets jealous. Jealousy is different from envy, right? So that's actually worth knowing. So jealousy happens, jealousy occurs when we perceive a significant um, danger, a significant threat to a significant relationship right? That's when jealousy occurs. So this can occur between siblings. This can occur between friends. Jealousy is a common experience across all relationships. And it is going to happen in romantic relationships. And it's going to happen if you're in a non-monogamous relationship. So it is not unique to non-monogamy. It is a human experience. And then you deal with it like you deal with any other emotions. Ideally, we don't go around punching walls every time we're angry. So we have a way, we have a mechanism in place where we get to regulate our emotions, right? The important thing about jealousy is it's telling you something. Like we do know that it has evolutionary purpose. It is about it is about really sensing threats to an important relationship, right? It's it was important. So is that but you don't have to, but how you react to it is up to you, right? So it's helpful to examine it, to examine and say, okay, why do I feel there's a threat? Is there a real threat? Is it actually happening? Or do I feel unsafe? for whatever reason, an old belief system, something that is triggering us from a, a previous experience, is really understanding and a, a need not being met, a conversation not being had, lack of connection, whatever it is, we want to understand what's triggering it and then deal with that, right? So if it's a lack of, it's a lack of connection, so you feel like your partner is disconnected from you and then you see them like look at a just look at somebody and you immediately feel the relationship being threatened, that it's really about the disconnection and not about the look, right? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Peel back the layers, look at what Mm -hmm. really is at the root of it. Don't just Mm -hmm. accept a feeling as a feeling and that's Mm -hmm. what it is that, that's Mm -hmm. what you act upon, but really take a deep look at yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what I think part of this life's journey is also about to learn about Mm -hmm. ourselves and to grow and see it as an opportunity for growth. Yeah, also normalize jealousy as well. It's like we wouldn't stigma around it, right? Because we'd say, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm sad, I'm angry. We are aware, we're able to talk sometimes we are able to talk about emotions i think there's also stigma around saying oh i'm jealous right it's some sort of a failure or something is wrong i think that the other piece of it is to normalize jealousy yeah we everybody feels jealous it's okay rather than have added shame and guilt because you feel jealous very true is a lot of stigma around feeling Mm -hmm. good point so looking at all this and seeing where we're at now, at least mm-hmm. in, in our society right now, also judging from what we see going on in the media and this opening up, what do you foresee mm-hmm. happening with the concepts of relationships in, let's say, 10 years from now? I think we are in such a place in our history that it is hard to predict 10 minutes um, <laughs> <laughs> rather than 10 years. Honestly, I don't know. I think what I would like for it to be is for definitely people to think about their relationships and design them that in a way that that they can thrive and that that also allows them to connect to people who also want the same thing. And the more that we talk about non-monogamy, the more we put it out there, the more people identify with it, the more similar uh, people with a similar view and value system will find each other. So I think Hopefully, over the 10 years, this becomes a normalized relationship structure and there are plenty of people to find good matches, similar value systems. I think, like I said, 10 years from now, we'll just, we don't even know what life is going to look like. But I do think that 
we're look we are you can't unsee or you can't unlearn what you've learned, right? So I think the more the non-monogamy is out there, the more it's going to be out there. So in ten years' time, I can imagine just people it being a normal a state of the world. Yes, and that's a beautiful thought that everybody's free to choose for themselves. Mm -hmm. Me, non-monogamy, whatever mm -hmm. helps you thrive. Singledom also. Yeah. I think that's also the old relationships. I think there's also a lot of stigma around being single. So I think I would put that out there as well. Monogamy, non-monogamy, single, solo. I think asexual. I think because exactly. Also exactly. Yeah. And Effie, so with regards to what helps you thrive, I like to mm -hmm. know from each guest about if they have any practices that have helped elevate them mentally, physically, or spiritually. Is there something you'd like to share with us? I do a moving meditation practice called Five Rhythms. Are you familiar with this practice? I heard about it before, but please enlighten me a little further. Sure. It's a movement. It looks a lot like dancing, to be honest. When you look at it from the outside, if you're watching a Five Rhythms class, it would look like a bunch of people dancing, passionately dancing. The teaching around Five, five Rhythms is to find movement in your body and let it out, rather than make shapes through music, which is what we traditionally consider dancing to be. So it, it is a way to process what's going in, you know, connect with your body and process what is happening with you through the somatic experience and movement. And I find that is, it's my church. It is where I resolve a lot of my problems. It, it is therapeutic for me. And it really connects me to my body, which has its own intelligence that I know that I can trust. It is when I feel disconnected from that is, is when things don't feel right. And I find five rhythms is the practice that really keeps me connected and grounded into my body. And I know that I'll thrive through that. Beautiful. Thank you for mm -hmm. that, Effie. I'll also look into that. It sounds fascinating. Mm -hmm. It makes a mm -hmm. lot of sense. So for people who'd like to learn more about you and connect with you, Effie, where can they do that? You can definitely go to my website, Effie Blue, E-F-Y, blue, like the sky, .com. I also have a podcast and a sort of a small publication called Curious Fox. You can find you can find it everywhere at We Are Curious Foxes on Instagram, on We are curiousfoxes.com on our website. We, the, the purpose of Curious Fox is to challenge the status quo in love, sex, and relationships. And that's what we do. We look at what the status quo is in certain areas and we ask questions and we get curious. We invite people, no commitments, no pressure, no promises, just curiosity. We, we have writers that contribute. We have guests every week. It's a great project. I recommend anybody who's interested to, to check that out. And if you are looking for around relationships, you're interested in non-monogamy, you have considered it and you want more information or you've tried it and it didn't go well and you want to course correct, you can find my you can find me on my website or on Instagram, coach Effie Blue or EffieBlue.com. Excellent, Effie. Thank you so much. And thank you for all the amazing work you do to help open up the minds and to show that there is not one single model that's mm everyone and that all relationships deserve to be as you say a custom fit for all parties mm -hmm. involved it's been such a pleasure talking to you and learning from you effie thank you very much for your time and all of your insights thank you for having me on the show and your thoughtful questions thank you superhumanize accelerated evolution 